0: Welcome to the Whiskey Jazz and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, former president of Anheuser-Busch, former chief operating officer of Schnucks Markets, current chief operating officer of Continental Grains, Dave Peacock. Hey, what you drink? You know what time it is. We are having this conversation once again, and I'm gonna keep this momentum because as you know, the last couple of conversations have been pretty high reaching, and this is no different. But the thing is, these are just friends that I have. These are just normal people that I've got in my contact list. And with this guy, this is someone who literally I met within the first two or three months of my moving to St. Louis, Missouri. And I'm going to wait to tell the full story of how we met once I bring him in. But I am just really excited to have Mr. Dave Peacock on Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. Man, come on into the room. How are you doing?
1: Good. I appreciate it. Caitlin, you know, we ran into each other at the grocery store of all places, and uh, you invited me to this, and it was actually my old uh, employer <laughs> you and I ran into each other. So it goes back a long time, but uh, it, was, it was good to see you, number one. Number two, I appreciate you having me on.
0: Well, absolutely, man. Well, hey, we're, we're going to get into great conversation because you and I, although we've known each other for a while, you've been busy and I've been busy and we just haven't had a chance to catch up recently. So I'm looking forward to this opportunity to just catch up. So I've got a bunch of questions for you because you are uh, really getting into a lot of really interesting things. But the first question I have And this is like a signal to all my listeners so they know to start perking up and start listening. My first question, what are you drinking? Yes, exactly.
1: Well, uh, I am not drinking anything. I am in New York um, where I am working now. Um, I commute here and we bought this apartment, um, gosh, back in August. And so I've been paying rent on a place I haven't been staying in or paying mortgage on a place I haven't been staying in. So tonight is my first night in the apartment the mattresses finally showed up. It's, it's very <laughs> difficult to sleep in an apartment without mattresses. I'm actually excited because I got here about an hour and a half ago and uh, it's starting to actually look like a real place. When I walked in here uh, three weeks ago, uh, behind me, there were 68 boxes from Amazon and FrontGate and you name it, I had to open up. So because of that, I don't have a wine opener. I don't have a bottle of whiskey here yet. <laughs> I don't even have a beer. I've got like two Monster Energy drinks in the fridge and a bottle of water and that's it. I'm literally making a list of what I got to get tonight and it's going to be a busy week.
0: <laughs> well, hey man, that just means that I got I got to come correct for the both of us, right? Cuz that's what that's what friends are for, right? So, since we were having this conversation, I want to make sure that I had I pulled something that really kind of represent our relationship. I think of our relationship is you, you know, we used to be in circles where we would see each other pretty constantly. We were on a couple of nonprofit boards together, and and uh, when I first came to St. Louis, uh, I looked around, and you and I actually showed up on a, on several boards together. We were on the St. Louis Zoo board together. We were on the St. Patrick Center board together, uh, and then ultimately we were on the SSM Cardinal Glennon board together. And so I, I said, "Well, hey, you know, I, I tend to move around a lot, and it would be a travesty for me to have all these connections with." this guy and not connect with him at all. So uh, I called you up and said, you know, Hey Dave, I'm new to the area. Uh, you and I seem to be on a lot of boards together. Let's, let's, let's get together for, for coffee or something. And you said, absolutely. That makes all the sense in the world. The funny part of this is uh, my wife asked me as she would normally do. So what do, what do, what do you got going on tomorrow? And I said, well, yeah, you know, I'm going to be with this customer, going to be with that customer, and I've got lunch with this guy, Dave Peacock. And she said, well, what are you going to talk to Dave about? I said, well, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to have a conversation. Well, do you know what Dave does? Well, he's like, you know, one of the presidents at Anheuser Busch at the time, and you know, at, at Coca Cola, I was at Coca Cola at the time, and and I said, well, you know, at Co- we've got like. 30 or 40 presidents at Coke. He's one of the presidents at anheuser Bush, And my wife said, no, I don't think he's one of the presidents at anheuser Bush. I think he's the president at anheuser Bush." And at that point, I got a little nervous because I wasn't prepared for that level of hierarchy in St. Louis. But man, the, the conversation just kind of grew from there. And so I'm going to reach for something that I used to, a bourbon that I used to be able to get every day. And now it's kind of hard to get. Uh, I'm going to crack open this Blanton's. And Blanton's, single barrel, Kentucky whiskey. And for those who drink Blanton's, it's really important that I mention what letter, (laughs) what letter figure that this Blanton's represents. So this represents letter A. So it's like a long story that only bourbon heads care about. But each uh, bottle has a letter that if you line them up, they spell the word Blantons. And it's kind of a big deal to have all the letters. I don't have all the letters. But this is something that I used to be able to get every day. Now it's kind of hard to find. And that's kind of like our relationship. You know, we used to be able to talk every day. And now you're kind of hard to find. So I'm going to crack this open. And um
1: I got a survey from you. And I did the last... I'm a scotch drinker, and so I had a Macallan 25 when I was in Ohio a couple weeks ago, which was, which was very nice. It's a little 25-year. It was down oh gosh. Big ice in it. It was good.
0: Yeah, so we're, we're going to give you a reprieve since this is like brand new apartment space. I'm going to sip on this while I ask you to just share a little bit of your background with those listening who might be Unfamiliar with who Dave Peacock is uh, because we are in 20 different countries right now, and there may be some people that are outside of the St. Louis geography. So, talk a little bit about your background, and uh, I'm going to enjoy this Blanton's number A, letter A, single barrel whiskey.
1: There you go. Um, so, I am a St. Louis guy, born and raised, and was uh, blessed enough to join Anheuser Bush in, in 1992. Um, I met my wife first day I joined, although we were not husband and wife. Uh, became that a few years later, um, and then um, after uh, a very fortunate career um, where I was able to kind of move around in the business. And my last four years were president for the U.S. business after we were acquired, actually from a company called InBev. I stepped down in 2012. Hitting 20-year mark was important to me, and once I'd served my 20, it's like the military. I was ready to do something different. So was uh, investing a bit on my own um, with a bunch of friends. It's one of the things I decided I want to invest just with people that I know real well and in business where I can learn, but still had a consumer touch. So um invested in multi-unit franchise. And uh, right now we're the largest Jamba Juice franchisee in the country. We are one of the larger ante and cinnabon franchisees separately and then we also bought a restaurant a chain of about seven restaurants in the st louis area called crush red um, we stretch over into kansas city as well and then a few other businesses as well as some startups and um, was on a boards as well and one of the boards was schnook's company which is a st louis based 110 store grocer and they asked me in 2017 if i would join as president and chief operating officer which i did and just stepped down in september of this year and joined a new company um not new actually a 203 year old company called continental grain i was gonna say it's long older 203 years actually and um started in europe and then moved over to new york in the in the around the time of world war ii and uh, it's now gone from a kind of agriculture business operating business to an investment business um but phenomenal people. And I've been doing this. I've been working with them as an advisor for about six months and now I'm working full time as their chief operating officer. Um, So now I'm kind of in the investment space in agribusiness. And this is my second week in New York and businesses in New York. So I commute probably twice a month at least. And um, now I'm in this apartment and, and doing my thing here in New York, but still have I still have a home in St. Louis.
0: Well, f- hey, well, great, man. I- I- I'll tell you one of the things I'd love for you to get into because th- this is the beginning i think of our relationship was you trying to help me understand the uniqueness of St. Louis because i moved here from Houston and you know i came here working for another significant beverage company uh, the Coca-Cola company it was really just trying to get the lay of the land and so i reached out to a couple of people and i said you know hey help me understand what is St. Louis where have I moved? What do I need to do? How do I get involved? And uh, you were one of the people that I happened to talk to. Talk a little bit about what is St. Louis? Because it's, it's, it's very different than other places that I've lived and worked. There's a unique culture, especially in the, uh, in the space connecting business and the nonprofit space. So how would you describe St. Louis to to someone who, who's never been here before?
1: St. Louis is a unique city because it's got a little bit of a chip on its shoulder in the sense that it feels like it's viewed as second class. But the people in and from St. Louis love St. Louis. I mean, if I'd say we probably have one of the what I call the, the highest percentage of the indigenous population, meaning people who were born and raised here come back. Than cities like Atlanta and Charlotte and others that are newer or Phoenix. In a way, that's sort of endearing. you know, we're kind of known for where'd you go to high school? Because that kind of helps people geographically understand where you're from. You know, kids tell jokes at Halloween, like there's no trick-or-treating without a joke. You don't get any <laughs> community without it. And that's sort of a unique St. Louis thing. But I'll tell you, I mean, incredible restaurant scene, incredible, free family entertainment options. You know, our zoo is free you got the Magic House, you've got City Museum, you've got, I mean, just incredible parks, which, you know, during COVID were were, were fully utilized finally, you know, because it's one of the the treasures of St. Louis. You know, good corporate scene, good diverse corporate scene, um, not always companies that are top of mind. You know, we're not a big consumer businesses, a lot of business to business, a lot of technology. Um, But Edward Jones, everybody's heard of that. Enterprise Rent-A-Car, everybody's heard of that. Um, Centene is a big company. Nobody's heard of that, probably. Phenomenal company. Great corporate citizens.
0: Worldwide Technology.
1: Worldwide Technology. Anheuser Busch U.S. business is based there. You know, the Nestle Purina on the, on the animal food side. Um, so some great Energizer. You know, so some great businesses. People are amazing. One of the blessings of working at the grocer was I'm was born and raised in St. Louis, grew up in Webster Groves, Missouri, which is kind of right smack dab in the middle. Um, just West of the city, but it's a suburban, whatever, municipality. But working at Schnooks allowed me to travel the entire region because our we have stores, seventy stores in the area, and so we go to all of them. And I got to see everything: East St. Louis on the east side of the river, Alton, which is beautiful for biking and along the river, you know Ferguson, which you know has a re- you know, reputation nationally because of what occurred there after the, sh- the shooting of Michael Brown, but. It is an amazing uh, community to Eureka, to you know Webster, where I grew up. I mean, just really unique neighborhoods. And so people from St. Louis tend to be very proud of it. But people who aren't from St. Louis like yourself, I think are sometimes the most, especially if you're raised in a family, attracted to it. And, and I think the other thing is that we have a lot of pro athletes that settled back in St. Louis. You know, I belong to a, a country club, um, which I don't use much because I don't golf. Wayne Gretzky's a member and Chris Pronger is a member. And Joe Buck, who was born and raised, still lives there. Ozzie Smith, who grew up in LA, but played in St. Louis, stays in St. Louis. I mean, all these people kind of make St. Louis their home. I feel very connected there, which says something about the community.
0: It really does. It really does. And you know, I want I want to get into some, some rich business lessons and business principles, but I want to bring in one more story. It was a quick lesson that I learned about St. Louis, Uh, literally the first week that I got here, uh, ran into a a mutual friend and colleague of ours, Mr. Joe Ambrose, significant, significant business person in the community. And uh, again, just I'm new to the area, really trying to understand what this is about. I'm managing the geography for the Coca-Cola Company. And we met and he said something to me that really proved to be true from my perspective. And I'd love to get your your take on it. He said, you know, Galen, St. Louis, the people in St. Louis, the businesses in St. Louis will always only deal with you from an arm's length transactional distance unless you demonstrate that you care about the community. Once you demonstrate that you really care about the community, then they'll let you in. But until that, then it's just gonna be an arm's length transactional type of a relationship. And that comment really began my focus on trying to demonstrate that I cared about the community, joining boards, nonprofit organizations, that kind of thing. But that was, that was really kind of a, a wake-up call and a lesson that I'm so glad that I learned early in my tenure here. How true would you say that that statement is from your perspective?
1: I mean, I think it's true. I mean, I think St. Louis is actually very accepting uh, in ways. I think if you are 25 and single and from another city, it's a little harder than New York or Chicago, where you, you just got more transient young people coming in. If you are settling down or you're coming with your family like you did, I think it's much more welcoming because you, you, can, you can build a network through the schools and, and through your kids. If you want to be successful in St. Louis, weaving yourself into the fabric of the community is critical, um, like you did. And so whether it's, you know, a sports commission board, I was on the chair for a while, Red Cross, Ronald Glennon, United Way, uh, and some of these are past some are urban league right now, we power, which is an amazing organization focused on early childhood education and, and economic empowerment for those who are the most marginalized, um, started in St. Louis, um, from someone who's been uh, was 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 an activist during Ferguson and has has really stepped up, so there's some amazing things that have that have come from St. Louis, but it's often a byproduct of you know community involvement. And so I, I agree. I think if you want to be successful, it's it's really important to be engaged and involved with the community.
0: Yeah, I I have absolutely seen I've seen that play out. Uh, in spades. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to have this conversation and share this conversation with my listeners uh, is because you and I had kind of a similar trajectory only in some regards, right? But we we both had the the corporate, the big corporate background. We took that experience and we moved into more entrepreneurial spaces. And as a matter of fact, when you were, I think, making your first endeavor into entrepreneurial spaces, you happened to buy the rights to my favorite smoothie brand on the planet, Jamba Juice, and that that actually caused me to to start thinking about what do I do as my exit from corporate America, and and I started looking at some franchises, one of the people that I called when I was trying to decide to get into this was was Dave Peacock. Dave, how did you make this decision? What did you do? And um, you you availed me me of some of your resources to help me make that decision. I attribute some of the gratitude as well as some of the blame for that step (laughs) into that conversation that I had with you. What were some of the things that you've learned in corporate America from your time at anheuser Bush that you believed transferred very nicely to some of the other businesses, the entrepreneur efforts that you've gotten into? And then also the flip side, what are some things that, yeah, they, they worked well in a big business, but not quite the same when it's, when it's your money on the line?
1: Yeah, I, I'd say it's... Um... You know, Bush and Gussie Bush, who was the third leader of the company, because it was founded by Adolphus and then took over uh, August the first. His son took over, and then August second, which is Gussie, took over. And he had this phrase, "Making friends is our business," that always stuck with me. And as someone who grew up around anheuser Bush my whole life, and and really did sort of buy into the. Mystique and Laura, the company—that was a powerful statement. Um, And I remember going with the company after we were sold. um, One thing is, you know, it was incredible because a lot of people, you know, would say things about the company that acquired AB, but they poured into leadership education and and, and into their managers. So we went to Harvard and Stanford and all these opportunities that I never would have had otherwise. And we went to Harvard and we had a guy named John Cotter, who's a pretty famous professor there. Talk about the purpose of business, and, and it, it's not always intrinsic to the product you're selling. I told him the story about making friends with our business. He, he thought that was, you know, apropos for relative to what he was talking about. But that permeated everything we did prior to selling. I think it was changed a little bit after we got sold. But how we treated our distributors, our, our suppliers, um, were partners, right? Our customers. We just we we had trade spending accounts. We'd go buy beers for folks and what have you. So I think that gave me an appreciation for service level, which translates well to franchise ownership. I think on the flip side, don't know what you don't know. And so I'd grown up in a large organization with a lot of resources as it relates to looking at things and assessing and making decisions. And then you know, when it's you and maybe one or two other people, it's tough. <laughs> um, so I learned you know, scarcity resources and, and, and how much you need to rely on folks who really are experts and know what they're doing and making decisions.
0: Yeah, you know, I tell you, you remind me of especially the comment that you share with Mr. Cotter, who is like the father of modern day management theory. He he is the guy. Uh, but one of the comments, the phrases that we used to kick around at Coca Cola for years, which seemed to be similar, is uh, they used to say "Act local, think local," and you know, both of our companies global global businesses with presence all over the world, one of the things I absolutely used to love was when I would travel to Italy or travel to uh, London or travel to Spain uh, in places where I barely speak the language, and I say where I work and everyone has a story. I-, I love to hear everyone's story, but yet they kept coming back to this mantra of think local, act local. How does that phrase pair with what Mr. Bush was, was sharing with, with you
1: Well, I think great example, right? So, back in the 70s, when August Bush III took over the business and he was a fierce competitor, we were. So, Miller was acquired by Philip Morris. So, Miller now is this little company inside a huge company and well capitalized. And, like anybody, you know, when you first buy it, you're going to spend a bunch of money and try to make it work. So, Philip Morris was investing heavily and and was sponsoring a lot of national sports. And so, August said, Well, wait, you know, we're going to start losing some market share. This is a well-capitalized competitor. And he invested the money and targeted local sports and said, look, people are passionate about teams, not leagues. Goes where as we grew, you know, the leagues became very important to us. But um, we sponsored all kinds of teams because of that notion of, of, of behaving and being local. And I'd say even when I went to Schnucks, you know, every one of our stores rests in the community, you know, in some ways, You know, St. Louis, where we have almost 70 stores, but you have a store in Webster and a store in Kirkwood, a store in Eureka and a store in Ferguson and a store in Florissant, a store, eight stores in the city. They all take on sort of a a little bit of a personality of their own. And so that is uh, absolutely critical. And it's very critical in retail and and the franchise space. You know, with our 94 Jama Juices, we encourage our, our store leaders in every case to connect with their local community. And they do fundraiser cards with schools and all kinds of things. No different than what Coke did, right? I mean, Coke's history of, of really globalizing a brand through the globalization that came after World War II is remarkable. And, and Budweiser sort of, not as much on the global scale, but in the United States, you know, was the first to, to leverage rail and ice houses to be a nationally distributed brand. So in both cases, it was this, this effort to get the product out, but do so in a way that, that worked in that local market.
0: Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button. So you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers.